Welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson. Obert, how you doing? Very well. I'm doing very well. We got a little bit of a different setup here. It's uh, It feels weird um, not being in the same room as you, uh, but the times uh, are calling for us to do it virtually rather than in person. And so we will, uh, we will accept the challenge and, and head on right into it. Uh, no college football, uh, one college football game. And it was a good one. It was probably the best rendition of Army-Navy that I remember in my lifetime. I don't know if you feel the same way. There have been so many good ones, so it's hard to pick between one or the other. But, uh, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a very good one. And then, uh, Happy that Army won. Go Army beat Navy. That was such – oh, my – You lost. Fumbling on the one-yard line, giving up the field goal – uh, or letting allowing the army offense to drive down the field and get the field goal at the end of the game. Navy had so many opportunities to win that game. So many. Yeah. Uh, and then the NFL uh, yesterday was a pretty good day. I would say um, we had some, eh, not too many upsets, um, but I thought we had a lot of good football games and that's what really matters. We're going to do that. And then we're going to get to current events. Um, talk Heisman winner, uh, some MLB stuff, uh, Unfortunately, Mike Leach in his situation, um, haven't heard a ton about it uh, other than um, what Mississippi being in critical condition. Yeah, right. uh, other than that, I mean, it's just it's a tough situation uh, for him to be in. He is one of the best personalities college football has. Um, and then anything else that's on our mind in, in this sports world? Fair? Fair. Okay, you want to get right into the NFL takeaways? I got I got five pretty spicy takes. I don't know if they're sp- I don't know if all of them are spicy, but I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that this week was a really good week for storylines within the NFL. So that was that was very cool. And a lot of it set up very well. Um, my first one, I think this was the most obvious and kind of apparent storyline. Uh, Tua is a top 10 quarterback this year, but he's worth about three or three or four less first round picks than Herbert. <laughs> um, people, you know, um, I, I think there's a lot going around about Tua and everybody this morning is tr- kind of trying to bury him. So I'm, I'm not going to do that, but bury you know, him. kind of what's, what's being said around Tua and kind of, you know, the conversation about Tua is it's kind of the classic, you know, you can win with him, but you can't win because of him, or you can do this, but you can't do that. Everything has to be perfect around him for the dolphins to win games. It's like, you know, I don't even think that's true. The difference between the quarterbacks Justin, it's the thing with two is this. It's not that, oh, he's a good player, but he's limited. I don't even think he's limited, but his specific or his skill set is very specific. He is fantastic in making throws at the 30, you know, 35 yard short to intermediate levels. And there's only so much you can do with that. And because of that, the Dolphins have kind of had to create an offense around it. And, you know, when I hear things like it has to be perfect around him, it's not perfect around him. You know, I've heard 2020 Browns and he's Baker Mayfield or, um, you know, he's Jimmy G or whatever. Baker had one of the best running games in football and he had, you know, uh, a really good wide receiver in Jarvis Landry. Um, you know, to his running game is kind of mid to his coach is a first year coach. Mike Gesicki before uh, before this year was kind of, I don't know. 
a mid tight end. So I don't buy into the notion that everything has every to tight end is mid, unless it's Travis Kelsey at this point or Mark Andrews, I guess. But, um, you know, I don't really buy into the the notion that everything has to be perfect around him. Cause I don't think it is. And, um, I don't really even think that, you know, he's necessarily necessarily limited because the difference between Tua and Baker in 2020 or golf in 2018 or Jimmy G now is Tua is the very best in football at what he does best, which is throwing accurately at the intermediate uh, and short levels. I don't really know if there's a quarterback that's better than he is at that uh, skill set. The problem is Tom there's Brady. only so much again. Tom Brady. I disagree, but there's only so much you can do with that that level of of uh, of skills that that Tua has. And what you saw yesterday was when those linebackers dropped out into coverage for the Chargers, the Dolphins' offense kind of looked stuck. Um, and the problem being, when you know you can check down to your 30 and 31 year old running backs who are you know aging and don't really have a lot of make a man miss uh, abilities. And that isn't really, it's not doing a lot for him. And so that intermediate intermediate passing attack struggles. And where Herbert comes into this, because it was such an interesting game, it really was the Emmanuel Acho Bowl, um, where, <laughs> where Herbert comes into it is, you know, his skill set is, okay, he has one of the most live and explosive arms and can make so many throws with that arm. It's not like Tua where it's, all right, there's only one or two things we can do with that. With Herbert, it's like, all right, he has this unbelievable arm, this generational type arm, and he's huge, and his size is fantastic. There is a billion things you can do with it. And it's really hard to trap Herbert in a box of, all right, now we're going to force him to throw deep, or because you can't, you can't do that. And that's really the difference between the two guys. And the point being, yes, is Tua a top 10 quarterback right now? I think so. You look at the numbers, you look at what the Dolphins have done offensively this year. I absolutely think so. And I think, you know, his skills have been put, you know, on, on display so far, but when defenses adjust and defenses make adjustments, it kind of looks scary. And right now it's looking scary for the Dolphins. You don't get into the same thing with Herbert because he has the size. He has the arm. He has the mobility, even though he doesn't like to run. Um, But he has all of those traits, which, you know, we always love to joke about because of Colin. Give me. Right. Which we always love to joke about because of Colin Coward. But um, that's really the truth. So with Tua, it's like he can win in a bubble, Although it's different from all of the other examples that we love to use, like golf or Baker or Jimmy G, because he is truly elite at what he does best. But there's just only so many things you can do with that. And meanwhile, with Herbert, he is so fantastic at just such broad things like that arm is fantastic. That size is fantastic. There is a billion things you can do with it. And honestly, I can make the argument the Chargers aren't doing a very good job with it. Everything is short. Everything is underneath. Everything is Dawson Eckler. And with, you know, Justin Herbert, you really want to be using that arm, letting him make throws down the field. So the two contrasts there really could not have been more apparent last night. When teams adjust to what Tua really does best, it looks ugly. You can't really adjust to Herbert because he gives you so many different things. Yeah, I had a, I had a couple takeaways from that game, and I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Is that uh, you know with Tua, and I think defenses are starting to figure this out. Um, if you just play cover too high and you just be physical with the receivers and force them to make throws in the tight windows, he's going to struggle. We saw that last night. We saw it against the 49ers. Obviously, 
it's kind of tough because Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are so uh, good on the outside at winning their one-on-ones and, and obviously the speed. But if you have those physical corners, if you have those those safeties that can play over the top, you're going to do a pretty good job stopping, especially when they can't run the ball on a light box too. Because, I mean, right. let's be honest, the Chargers are one of the worst rush defenses in the league. I mean, they're, they're starting linebackers, Drew Tranquil, and he's a, cover, a coverage linebacker. And so right. when you can't run against a light box, you also can't throw because they're playing physical on the outside. Right. Tua gets into this really weird spot where, like you said, he, he I mean, he had the one good throw to, to Tyreek on the sideline. Other than that, there wasn't a throw where I was like, that's a really good throw. I was like, Tua's just trying to force balls into tight windows, and he doesn't have the arm strength to do it. The other thing that I thought of before I get to my actual takeaway is that these two offenses are built for the exact opposite quarterback. You, I would mm-hmm. rather have the Dolphins offense if I was Justin Herbert because I have the cannon and those guys are fast. He can put the ball on the money to Tyreek and Jalen Waddle. Uh, they would be insanely scary. And on the flip side, if I'm Tua, I'd rather have a guy like Keenan Allen who wins one-on-one better, almost better than anybody else in the, in the league. And then Mike Williams who can catch any contested ball. I, he, he turned, and we say this for a lot of guys, but he turns 50, 50 balls in a 75, 25 better than any wide receiver I've seen since Megatron. I mean, he, right. is, he is that good at contested catches. And so I feel like for a guy like Tua, who doesn't always throw the most accurate ball uh, into tight coverage, if you can give him a guy who can just catch it, he has an insane catch radius, he can go up and get it. You give him a guy where he just can throw the ball up and, and, and grab it, that's perfect. And a guy like Mike Willie or uh, Keenan Allen, who's great at the top of the routes and anticipation is what Tua does really well. If, if Keenan can shake at the top, and the ball's going to be right on him. And, and so I feel like, I feel like we're in this weird situation where we're, we're, we're comparing to, well, we're comparing him to, to Justin Herbert, but I feel like the offenses are built for the exact opposite. Give, give right. Justin Herbert to Miami and they're going to be awesome. Give Tua to, to the charge. And I feel like because what Mike or what Lombardi wants to do is just throw it short all the time and, and occasionally go deep. I feel like two is better for that offense than uh, he is for his own. I think, uh, and I know you haven't gotten into your takeaway yet, but I think one of the things we talked about a lot in the offseason was, you know, would it be a, still a good offense with Tyreek Hill because the Dolphins would be constantly mm-hmm. trying to go deep with Tyreek because he's so fast. But instead what they've done is, all right, we're not going to go deep. We're just going to r- run kind of intermediate crossers. Give me that crossing and those, and those have gone really, you know, 30, 35 yards rather than, you know, like 60 yard passes that you need. And that's worked for Tua because he doesn't have, you know, the super arm strength to maybe, you know, be accurate and be very good at 60 yards. But at 30 and 35 yards, he has been good. The problem has been this adjustment and kind of overcoming that of, all right, now they're taking 20 to 35 yards away. They're just taking it away with those linebackers getting way deep into coverage. And how can they circumvent that? They really haven't figured something out. Maybe, Give some I don't time. Maybe, I, think, I think Mike McDaniel will figure something out. I, the, the other thing is, is that it's tough. And by the way, it's tough for any quarterback to make accurate throws yes. into tight windows over and over and over yeah. again. It's very difficult. It's just a lot easier for a guy like a Justin Herbert or a Josh Allen who has a cannon arm and can get away with, maybe they're not the most accurate with the throw, but it's so fast that you can get it past the defender. Tua can't do that. If he's inaccurate, right. you see it because of how, A, how fast his wide receivers are and B, how tight of a window it really is. And Tua for the vast majority of this year has been pinpoint accurate. This lot, These last two weeks, I think so. I don't know what, I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know what it is, 
it has showed up. He's just been a little bit less accurate, but I've watched him a few other games this year, you know, the Browns game, the Ravens game for, you know, a few pieces of that game. It was like, he isn't missing throws. Yeah. And you're seeing it these past couple of weeks, he is missing throws. And that's kind of, you know, the, the, the box they're getting themselves into, but um, obviously, yeah, you're exactly right about the arm strength. That is where it comes into a, a, a really, tough spot for Tua. He doesn't have the arm strength to, all right, I need, I've got a little tiny one second window to, you know, strike a ball in between this defender and that defender. And that's tough. That is tough. And to get in my actual takeaway here, I mean, the only reason we're talking about Tua versus Justin Herbert, other than the fact that the Dolphins picked one spot ahead of, uh, of where the Chargers did is the fact that Emmanuel Acho is a clown. He has been parading around doing this entire campaign about Tua over Justin Herbert when it's been the stupidest thing. Like, Last night was the cherry on top to the stupidest camp sports campaign I've seen in, in, in this NFL season. Why this was even a discussion, I'm not sure. They both do their own things well. Justin Herbert is himself. Tua is himself. The team's drafted that quarterback. They can't go back. There's no use in arguing it. Like, right. we, we talk about that that 2020 draft class. Like, I mean, because you look at who came out of it, it was an insane class. And we talk about it comparing position to position to position. It's like, why are we doing that? It's It's Joe Burrow. It's Tua. It's Justin Herbert and it's Jalen Hurts. All, I saw someone on Twitter say this. I was like, "You're exactly right. All four teams are happy with who they have, and we just have we have to live with that at this at this point. We can do the thing, you know, when their careers are over, you know, 20 years down the road, right. where we compare the the careers and say who who in a redraft who would. But right to do it right now when they're four years into the career, three years into the career is absolutely stupid. And Emmanuel is the sole reason that we're doing this right now. Right. It's fluid too. I mean, you look at you know exactly. I mean, six six months ago, Tua was thought to be a bust and worth it, it, pretty exactly. much nothing. And that was going to be my another point I made um, because you talked about Tua as a top ten quarterback. I feel like this year, more so than any other year that I remember, we don't have a group of ten quarterbacks that deserve to be considered top ten. I feel yeah. like it's like four quarterbacks that you could be like, yeah, those guys consistently week in week out are playing, you know, great quarterbacks and. And newsflash, Josh Allen isn't even one of those guys. It's right. it, it's really, it's like Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, and Justin Herbert. And Patrick Mahomes, I'm going to get into this. He just had the worst game I've probably seen from him in his career last yeah. night. It was bad. And so I feel like, because you look at Geno Smith, teams are starting to figure him, figure him out a little bit. And he's been, and they haven't had a healthy running game. And so he's been uh, shaky a lot. You look at a guy like Jared Goff, who in the past like three weeks is playing out of his freaking mind. And all of a sudden his stats are looking like he's a top 10 quarterback. We, but in the middle of the season, he was playing like a bottom five. We've been so up and down with quarterbacks this season. I feel like to do this top 10 quarterback debate right now. And even at the end of the season, when we look back in hindsight, have all 17 games, I feel like it's like, well, what are we doing this for? Because at each different point in the season, we'd had guys, you know, like a Geno Smith that was playing out of his mind at the beginning of the season. And then he falls off or Jared Goff, who first four games was pretty good. Second four games, the second set of four games was awful. One of the worst quarterbacks you'll ever see. And in the past four weeks, he's been a top, statistically a top eight quarterback. It's like, other than Joe Burrow and maybe Jalen Hurts or and Patrick Mahomes, it's like, I don't know who who do you who do you throw in there? I I give you a little pushback there. I think even if you look at last year, these numbers that Tua put up, and even in my opinion, how it looks in certain game, well, for the vast majority of this year, it has been top ten quarterback level. But it is relativism. I mean, if you know you stack him up, yeah. But he got benched for Ryan Fitzpatrick. 
Yeah, that was last. No, no, not last year. I mean, like, if you took his stats from this year and took it to last year when oh, quarterbacks okay. were playing at a really high level, I even think his numbers would stack up with the other 10 quarterbacks from that year. But uh, from this year, I mean, last year he was obviously awful. But, um, you know, I so I, I think he has played at a top 10 quarterback level in that sort of yeah. mindset. And this year, certainly. I mean, if you look at his numbers, it's probably five or something like that, top five level. Um, I can look but, at it right now. I can look at his numbers right now. Traits-wise, you know, you look at sustainability. You look at traits. And that was kind of the point I was trying to make there. It's like, there are a lot of red flags because what he does so well, it's hard to translate throughout the entirety of the game. And it's tough to kind of make counter adjustments to the adjustments the other team are making. Meanwhile, with Herbert, you can't put Herbert in a box because what he gives you is so dynamic. Same thing with Hurts, same thing with Murray, same thing with Mahomes. I mean, all of those guys. He's 12th in yards right now. I can't do completion percentage because it doesn't filter out guys who don't qualify on the NFL uh, website. Um, touchdowns, he's top 10. Interceptions, I'm pretty sure he'd be top 10 in um, among qualified passers. So, you know, it, all things considered, yeah, I would probably agree with you that if you just look at the stats, it's like, how can you say this guy's not a top 10 quarterback? When, especially right. when you have such a fall off from guys like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers who were in that top 10 and it felt like they were cemented this year, not so much. And, you know, you, you get to that, you get to that point and his yards per attempt's up. He's got 8.7 yards per attempt, which I think is the most of qualified quarterbacks. Yeah, it is. And so, and I think a little bit of that has to do with who he's playing with and Jalen Waddle and uh, Tyree Kill, yeah. because the guy right behind him, Teddy Bridgewater, obviously played a game and a half, two games, uh, also at 8.7 yards per attempt. So true. He also was kind of mid, but yeah, he was, oh no, he was bad there. I mean, there's, there's no, there's no two ways around that, but I'm just saying like, take it with a grain of salt. Yards per attempt. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of an asterisk there. Um, Jalen Hurts deserves to be the MVP. You know, I was big on Micah Parsons for so long, but even I have to admit, he's kind of been, he hasn't disappeared, but he's been, you know, a lot worse than he was the first nope. half of the year so far these last four games. So that is disappointing. And you look at, you know, the MVP race, it's probably one of the, you know, one of the weaker ones, although I think Hertz has been very good and yeah. has been playing at an MVP level. But, you know, when you look at two and three and four and five, it's like, yeah, it hasn't really been great. But that one, like Jan Hertz, he deserves it. He really do does. It's not by default. It's really not well. a process of elimination. You know, he is 22 touchdowns, three picks. Um, Miles Sanders above 1,000 yards. Did not know that pretty crazy uh 10 rushing touchdowns which is very impressive um and you know what he's done to this eagles team i think sirianni deserves a ton of credit but the growth he's had since since last year pretty yep. remarkable and how much better this eagles team has been is unbelievable and you know we look at you know supporting cast so much aj brown before this year we thought of as a fringe i don't know top 15 wide yeah. receiver maybe and you know by the end of this year it'll be like top, top five fence, top five and then, you know um and you know devonta smith before this year it was like he's a pretty good wide receiver but you it's know he's like an average wide step. receiver too and now it's like he's probably the second best wide receiver too in the national football league so um he's got, he's got more catches than aj brown but he's got like 300 less yards yeah yeah he's definitely more of the the possession receiver but you know so that what he's done for that offense elevating it to the next level we talk about Mahomes, we talk about all these guys and it's kind of crazy to think that Hertz has just totally stepped it up in such a short amount of time 
but he has. And, you know, sorry if that's a sudden change for people, but he deserves it. And if he becomes the Cam Newton or the, you know, even Lamar Jackson to some extent where it's like he has that one insane year and then the rest of his career, it just hasn't been quite that level. Uh, so be it. But he is having this one year and we have to reward that he has far and away been the most valuable player. Yep. And I think he's really been one of the best players. So um to me, it's not close right now. It's Jalen Hurts as the MVP. And frankly, unless Mahomes goes for, you know, 50 touchdowns by the end of the year and doesn't throw a pick. He could. Uh, no, with four games left, it's probably going to be tough. Um, he's he would, right now. He's going to have to get to 50 touchdowns. That's number one. And, and then he's going to have to pick. not throw a pick the rest of the way. Because you look at his picks. He's got 11. All he's he's got 11 right now. It's bad. It is really bad. So we'll see how that finishes out. Um, but I, I think right now it would take kind of a miracle for anybody else to be higher above Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I, uh, I, I do agree I, with you, which is yeah. funny because uh, this Eagles team offensively has been better than the Eagles offense that went to the Super Bowl. Was that 2018 uh, yeah. with Carson Wentz for the first uh, 12 games of the season? Uh, okay, my next takeaway. Brock Purdy is the future for the San Francisco 49ers. I am so pumped because the throws he were made, he was making, I was like, did you, I don't know how much of the game you were able to watch, but like his touchdown, his touchdown throw to Christian McCaffrey, where he had two guys in his face falling away and throws that on the money. I I'm sorry. Jimmy G doesn't give you that. He doesn't right. Trey Lance. I don't think he gives you that. I think what we're seeing right now is the 49ers are going to be faced with a, existential crisis and the fact that they have this guy that they traded first round picks for they traded up to get who has played five games four games something like that in his career and Trey Lance and and they're gonna have to figure out what they do with him when you have a guy like Brock Purdy who in my opinion is going to lead the 49ers to at least an NFC championship game they're that talented defensively and offensively Debo's gonna be okay so that's so there's that. Uh, it seems like it's just going to be a, uh, an ankle, high ankle sprain, maybe. So he'll be back for for playoff uh, football. But I mean, the weapons they have, they're set up for a guy like Brock Purdy to come in and even elevate them a little bit. Because the thing that always pissed me off about the Jimmy G argument was that he wins. Well, hmm. if Brock Purdy wins and he's a better quarterback than Jimmy G, which from what I saw on, on from, from what I saw on Sunday, he absolutely is. And I don't think that should be a question. I mean, he was 16 of 21 for 185 yards and three touchdowns. Like what more do you need to see? He fits in this offense really well. And I, I think we're going to next off season. I think it's going to be a serious conversation about who is going to be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers. And now do I think that that's going to be, you know, something that hinders them during the season? Probably not. I think the biggest loss for them is going to be when D'Amico Ryans is, becomes a head coach next year uh, because he is such a good defensive coordinator. And we've done this a couple of times with that, with that 49ers team, they lose coordinator after coordinator after coordinator. It's like, well, they keep reloading. I don't know how, how much longer they're going to be able to do that, but we're going to be sitting here in uh, July or, or, or June. And we're going to be talking about, is it Brock Purdy or is it Trey Lance? And we're gonna have to wait for training camp. Hopefully they, they get treated the same. And the 49ers actually think about this rather than blindly going with Trey Lance, just because he is the first round guy. Cause that's the thing I think, I think we do too much as uh, a fan base, as for even front offices are, are, are culpable of this is that because of a guy's label where he was drafted, we view them differently than the, than the rest of the guys. Like uh, Taylor Heineke is putting up like the exact same numbers that 
uh, who was RG three brought this up as uh, I think it was Zach Wilson, but because Zach Wilson was drafted uh, or like similar numbers, not the exact same Taylor Heineke has been a little bit better, but because Zach Wilson was drafted second overall, we view him as a bust. but because Taylor Heineke was like a fifth round, sixth round pick, we're like, this is a great story. Look at this guy. It's those expectations we have, but after a guy's been in the league, you have to, you have to change your expectations of him as a player. And what we've seen from Brock Purdy in albeit limited snaps has been fantastic. I mean, we're talking about, it's not the same Bucks defensive uh, front that it was last year, but it's still a damn good one. And he sat there in the pocket in the face of pressure and delivered throw after throw after throw. I mean, these were NFL type throws made from a guy who was the very last pick of the draft. He is very capable. And I think if he, if the 49ers decide to stick with him throughout the, uh, I mean, if they decide to stick with them next year, because they have no choice this year, they have, he is their quarterback. If he proves to them this year that he is capable, then I think, I think they have to go with him next year. And I think they'd be foolish not to. I actually was going to make a takeaway about this, but I will say this. I was, you know, you think about the backup quarterback thing and it's a lot of, oh, well, you know, this team didn't game plan for him. They didn't have a lot of film. And I think I said that last week, but at the same time, you got to keep in mind, he's a rookie, you know, like you look at all the other rookies, they're not doing this. And that is very surprising to me. And the fact remains a, you know, you can throw away the box score and say, oh, well, the film isn't blah, blah, blah. He's making throws. Yeah, right? that was the thing. It's like it's like you, with the, with the Forty Nine ers offense. It's like okay, well, he was probably just making easy throw. No, no. I mean, oh, some of these making, some of these windows he was hitting were were very yeah. impressive. He's making good throws into tight windows. You just at some point have to respect that. And B, it's like yes, defenses are going to adjust to him and you know kind of figure him out, and that's fine. He's going to get better as he gets more comfortable in an exactly. NFL style offense, and you know as he gets more experience within the NFL. So there is two sides of this coin. It's like yes, defenses are going to start to play him better, but the truth is he's going to start play playing better himself as he gets more experience and gets more confidence. Um, the Cowboys' defensive injuries scare me. Uh, you know. So the Cowboys win a very close game against the Texans, 27-23, and, uh, you know, kind of got lucky to win it. Had a clutch defensive stand to win that game, but uh, at least they did come out with the win. 98-yard touchdown drive to kind of ice that game away. Um, and But I will say this. You know, you look back at what the Cowboys defense did so well at the early part of the season, you couldn't throw on them. The secondary was so successful and so good, you just could not throw on them. But now, all right, they've lost Jordan Lewis, they've lost Anthony Brown, Jaron Curse leaves, you know, or, uh, you know, gets hurt pre pregame, like lands on a football or something, ends up playing <laughs> in the game. But, but the, you know, the thought that came to most, you know, Cowboy supporter, Cowboy fans, heads was imagine if he does go down you know he's one of their more versatile safeties one of their more skilled players if he goes down game over you know what i mean like there's just not yep. enough guys in that secondary who have experience and who have played at a high level to really kind of be the defense that they were at the beginning of the year and so you know the offense is very solid i've said that for the past three or four weeks that's been a talking point of mine and you know, they were terrible yesterday, and that was probably the reason. It was definitely the reason why that game was so close. But the point being, they're probably going to have to start winning these 
big games, not games like the Texans, but games against the Eagles on Christmas yep. Eve, playoff games with their offense. And I think they can do it. It's just a matter of doing it. And it's not going to be easy, no, um, no. especially when you're relying on or when they relied on their defense for so long. Now you're probably going to have to rely on your offense. No Anthony Brown, no Jordan Lewis. Curse almost goes down. It's like, what even is the secondary anymore? I mean, if you and Trayvon Diggs is like a broken bone in his left hand. So pretty much nobody in that secondary that were day one starters is healthy. And Malik Hooker, maybe. And, you know, he was kind of even then kind of a fringe, you know, starter for them. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I think it's scary to me. Nobody's really healthy. They'll have to play well. Also, it was frustrating that Trayvon had that pick stolen from him to end that game there. But um, <laughs> that, that does, it How does many picks does he have this year? Not many. Oh, no. Probably oh. something. Like oh. I will, say, I will say he's been better in coverage this year, so so at least there's there's that. He might not have the same number of picks, but he's been better in coverage, right? So, yeah, we're in a bit of a gridlock, so you got to be higher on him, and I've got to be lower on him. <laughs> All of a sudden, you're more of a Trayvon Diggs fan than I am. It, 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 that would be a weird world if that if that if that if that day ever comes um folks i i have a message it's two Tell words your message it's two words i'm back oh I'm back i i had to um i was watching the game yesterday the lions game and i i, I couldn't help myself it was it was so much fun this team is it's different when they're winning and you know, that stretch. Oh, duh. <laughs> right? Yeah. But this team, this team more so compared to uh, teams of recent memory um, under Jim Caldwell, under Matt Patricia. Like, they won games, but it was like, it still felt hollow. This team is like winning games convincingly. They're doing it because, um, okay, well. Hurry, hurry, speed run. Uh, this is, that's interesting. Uh, so we can two part it. Yeah, we're going to have to, um, okay. So I'm back. The lions are really fun. I would even call them a top four team in the NFC right now, possibly even top three. I mean, they're playing really good football. Um, it, it is so much fun to watch this team play. I just really, th this, these last six games have been so much different than the first half of the season. Uh, when I when I said I was going to take a break, they were one and six, and they were coming off of an embarrassing loss to the Dolphins, in which they blew a fourth quarter lead. Their second of the season, have they just had they just won one of those games earlier in the season? We'd be sitting here talking about the playoffs. It's a long shot. It's still possible, but it is a long shot. And so our time is running out. So we're going to have to get back to you in a little bit. Uh, so stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. By the way, I definitely, I think we should definitely do an Avatar two review. I have to see it first. So yeah, I know when, when, when I think when we get back on campus is when we should do it. Oh, I'm going to start. All right. Okay. So we're back. Um, let me finish what I was, let me finish what I was saying about the Lijones. Um, yeah, I'm fully bought back in and I'm ready to get hurt again. Um, I know it's going to happen. Uh, I, we're probably not going to make the playoffs. Um, it's just too much of a long shot as it, as it stands right now. They'd have to go perfect essentially the rest of the way out. They control their own destiny. When the last four games you're in, uh, I they're the Lions. They're not going to win the last four games. So I'm fully prepared for them to not make the playoffs, but they're still going to go 
eight and nine, nine and eight, which is more than I even expected at the beginning of the season. They're fun. It seems like Dan Campbell is finally figuring it out as a head coach. Uh, everybody is bought in. Uh, this is a feeling that I have never felt before as a Lions fan. And why are you smiling like that? Do you owe anybody an apology on the Lions? Yeah, I got to give Dan Campbell an apology. Okay. Um, he he has quieted most of my doubts, I would say. Mm. Fair? So you'd like to apologize and kiss him on the butt? If he wins the Lions a Super Bowl? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he, he, yes. Uh, uh, Baker Mayfield might have a little bit of juice left in him. Uh, we haven't talked a lot about Baker Mayfield on this podcast, not since he got traded from the Browns to the Panthers, because he hasn't been relevant. He hasn't been a very good quarterback. And, you know, you'll find I'm not interested. I don't think you're interested in quarterbacks that are mid, you know, I mean, we don't talk a lot about Jimmy right. G. We don't talk a lot about Baker. It's like, why they're mid. There's not a big, uh, big storyline there. I'm not going to argue whether or not he's a top, Fifth, 14 quarterback versus top 20. It's like, what difference does it make? Um, you mean, but I will say this 25 sitting in, yeah, exactly. It's like, who gives who, who cares? But as far as Baker is concerned, watched him at the end of the uh, what's it called game? That two minute drive, man. Yeah. Say what you will about Baker. That was clutch. I think it says, I think it says more about the Raiders as an organization. He made some real NFL throws, and you know, I, you look back on who the Raiders have played. Herbert couldn't lead him on a on a game winning touchdown drive. What does that tell you about Herbert? He's not as clutch as Mayfield. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, though, two <laughs> touchdowns last year. What are you talking about? It's true. Two touchdowns late in the game comes back to win win the game. And I'll say this about Baker: he has a ton of talent. And you look at his NFL career with all the coaches he's had. He really hasn't had a coach he's had a great relationship with. You look at Hugh Jackson. He was coming off of, you know, uh, what was it? No one 16 season or yep. something like that. Uh, just a lot of things that went wrong there pretty much very early on. Hugh Jackson got fired. And then it was Greg Williams who was his coach. And that was a guy that was a defensive coordinator, defensive mind. They had a fine relationship. But I think that one was a bit weird. Freddie Kitchens was the next coach, and that was cool. But for, and I actually do think Freddie had a good relationship with Baker, but Freddie was a dumbass. So there was that. And Stefanski comes in. Stefanski didn't draft him. Um, and so that was weird because Stefanski was never really fully bought in because that was not his guy. And so why would he be? Um, and so that was always kind of an adverse relationship. Um, then he goes to, you know, Carolina with Matt rule. It's like they traded him for a fourth. So, or something like that, or a fifth conditional fourth, that would have been a fourth that he played more. Um, and, uh, you know, so that was never really a great relationship because rule didn't think that highly of him. They traded a fourth or a fifth for him. So couldn't have, and finally goes to Los Angeles. And now it's Sean McVay and Baker, two guys who like each other, two guys who are friends, two guys you know, and, and especially you think about Sean McVay, he's used to that offense. He's done it with Kitchens. He did it with Stefanski. So he's used to that offense. He knows how it operates. And he comes in and at the very least delivers some very clutch throws and like real, like, yep. whoa, that's like top 10 quarterback throws in clutch moments. So I wish listen, you wouldn't have. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the bottom line is for Baker Mayfield. I don't know if he will ever be a franchise quarterback ever. But 
I think he could be, you know, a little bit of a shysty starter. And I was happy to see it. I really was. So. I hope he plays like a top 40 starter. Okay. There you go. Um, I, I, I just want to give him some props. He played very well. And hopefully he'll be good enough to be a very relevant, you know, quarterback again. Because quite frankly, he hasn't been. The more, so. the more the Rams win down the stretch, the worse the Lions draft pick becomes. And I don't want that. I, I hope they go, you know. Reno and Baker looks really good. I, I do. I, they play the Seahawks one more time. It would be nice if they could win that game. Right. Um, but that would also mean that the Lions have to win too. So yeah. there's that. Um, okay. So the Giants are also one of the teams fighting for one of those last two playoff spots in the NFC. And they got pantsed on national television. I mean, yeah. they looked like a JV like football team. Yeah like a division two or division three college football team, a bad one. Uh, like I, I, I pulled this up cause I wanted to look at it. Team stats. The Eagles went for 437 yards. The giants. Oh, are we going to get an ESPN ad? Maybe uh, the giants went for 304 and their though. Their two touchdowns um, came or the two longest drive, two of their three longest drives came in the fourth quarter. Um, one of them went 52 yards. The other one went 75 yards. Other yeah. than that, they you were telling me that they basically had 150 yards in the fourth quarter and the rest of the game, they had diddly squat. They had 100, 157. And I mean, yes, the Eagles are a good team, but you're telling me that the Giants can't, as a potential playoff team, at least look a little bit better. I mean, we're talking about a team that's looked like a bottom five uh, a team in the past five five weeks or fa- past six weeks, they've gone one, four, and one. Uh, Brian Dable has lost all of the possible momentum that he had for coach of the year. He's not getting it now. Uh, and, and it sucks too for the Giants because they were good at the start of the season. It changed expectations where, hey, now we should make the playoffs when, let's be honest, their roster isn't nearly good enough to make the playoffs. Where if this season had been flipped and say they are, uh, they're like the Lions where they started out one and six, and then they go on an insane run and they're six and one at the end of the season, it gives you a completely different outlook headed into the offseason. Yes, you might not be playing in the playoffs, but you feel better about how the season went. This team isn't going to feel good about the taste that's left in their mouth. However, I do think they're getting some clarification on their quarterback situation. Uh, that's Daniel Jones isn't the guy. You cannot do anything with him that, you know, you could do with an, a legitimately good starting quarterback. I mean, Daniel Jones is probably the 25th, 26th best starting quarterback in the NFL right now. They haven't been able to run the ball recently. I mean, Saquon Barkley went nine for 28. I will say that the Eagles' pass de- or rush defense has been phenomenal the past couple of weeks. Um, but seriously, 28 yards on nine carries for 3.1, it's not going to cut it. They're, they had a, a long run of 32 from Tyrod Taylor, if that mm. tells you anything. Uh, that helps their yards per carry get up to 5.3. Without him, it would have been sub 3.5. So it, it was just an all-around tough game for a Giants team that desperately needed to to – show that they're at least capable of playing with a team like this um, because this was the last exact last thing that they needed to happen was to get absolutely embarrassed on TV uh, against the, you know, a premier team in the NFL right now. Uh, Deshaun Watson looks much better. He still has a bit of a way to go. Um, so, you know, you, I watched the Texas Texans game, Deshaun Watson Texans first game back 
And I think there were a lot of, maybe not red flags, but a lot of concern from the Browns community that Deshaun was not the player we last saw him because physically it didn't look the same. He wasn't making the throws. He wasn't he wasn't the athlete that he looked to be in, in Houston and just wasn't just didn't have the same sort of physical presence that he did, you know, uh, in 2020 with the Texans. So that was a concern because that's not a matter of rust. That's a matter of, all right, is he just fundamentally a different player than he used to be? He comes back this week and he looks okay. Yes, it looked exactly like it did in Houston. Obviously, there were some bad decisions in there and some late progression, just overall mental stuff that wasn't like it was in 2020. But as from a physical perspective, he looked exactly the same in 2020. And that was a very good sign, meaning it absolutely is going to come back. It's just a matter of time. And also, it means it'll probably come back soon. Everyone's giving up on the Brown season. That's okay. If we go 4-0, and listen, that last AFC wildcard spot with the Jets being average, I think they're 7-6 and six now. Um, yep. The, the Chargers obviously have a chance there at 7-6, and six, but there is a path. It's not, not a very good one, but or you know feasible one, but there is an opportunity. Um, so I'm still giving hope, and I just want the season to last as long as possible, just so we can have meaningful games. Yeah. And so, you know, Deshaun and some of our, our better players can feel like they're in a playoff chase and, you know, th- there can be some pressure there. Um, but honestly, you know, they said this on the broadcast. They said he felt like I, he was in perfect shape going into the Texans game. He had, you know, played every day and all of that stuff, and he had been fine. And But he said it, playing in the actual game, he didn't realize – you know, what it took to be conditioned, uh, yeah. you know, like a real NFL player. And that's, so that's the biggest thing I hear is from players that retire when people are like, Hey, uh, what do you, do you think you could play again? They're like, yeah, if you give me like four weeks to get back in shape. Right. Like, it's like the NFL, NFL game speed is so different than what we imagine it to be that if you're not, if you're not in game shape, you're not going to look great. Right. And so the conditioning really was the thing that physically uh, really hurt him and getting back to the conditioning or close to it that he was in 2020, he looked 10 times the player he did in the Texans game. So that was really encouraging. And now it all comes down to mentally, can he make the right progressions, make the right reads and uh, ultimately become the player he was uh, when we last saw him. And if he does, he will easily be within that top 10 or top five quarterback range. So encouraging their things the Browns need to work on. But, you know, I said this yesterday, it really was, I felt like even in the draft, based on how we approached the draft, it seems so like, all right, we're going to try and get better for next year. It's all going to be about next year, not this year, but the year after. So that it just feels like we're punting on this season. So I'm fine. If we don't make the playoffs, it's cool. We still have four years left on Deshaun's contract. This is, it was a movement for the future, not for the present. Fair enough. Um, listen, I feel like you you mentioned it. The AFC is kind of just a, a jumble of teams right now. And I feel like, in, in my opinion, at least, that the Bengals are the best team in the AFC as it stands today. And I don't know if that'll be the case three weeks down the road. The Chiefs are a great team, but are they capable of winning a Super Bowl this year? I don't know. After what I saw yesterday, and and you got to take the the final score with a little bit of a grain of salt because 
the Chiefs did outgain the the Broncos by 120 yards. I mean, you talk about yards per play, it was it was two more yards in favor of the Chiefs. The problem was Patrick Mahomes played very pedestrian at best. Uh, if not, you, you know, a bad a bad game at worst. And, and you look at the stats and and you'll see he's 28 of 42, 352 yards and three touchdowns. Well, how could that be bad? Well, he had three picks and it's not it's not one of those it's not one of those games where you have you know two that get deflected up at the line of scrimmage or anything. He just made terrible reads. It was him trying to force the ball into uh, a receiver that wasn't open. I mean, Josie Jewell picked him off twice and it was clearly a bad throw. And so you get into this you get into this thing where it's like and that set up great field position for a Broncos team who scored 28 points the most they've scored all season long. The previous most I think was 26. But then besides that, I don't know if they put up 20. So right. we're talking about team, a team that was averaging a historically low 14 points a game, and you just gifted them great field possession three different times, and they were able to capitalize on that. And so I don't want to look at it like, oh, this is a, you know, this should be a cause for panic for the Chiefs because they had they won the game at, at the end of the day. They won the game. It might have been ugly because they got out to a 27 nothing lead. They, they did do that. They were up 27 nothing at, at one point in this game. And all of a sudden you look up, you look up the scoreboard and it's 27-21 and you you thinking how did how did we get to this point and, and the the answer is it's Patrick Mahomes throwing terrible interceptions. I, I think they're still uh, you know they 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 are still. I don't think I know they're still the class of the AFC, but I don't I, I feel like it's a lot closer of a gap than it was, you know, 2 days ago. I feel like the Bengals have shown themselves over the course of the past couple of weeks that they're the best team in the AFC, especially with how uh, porous the Bills have played. Uh, they had their worst game of the season against the Jets, still found a way to win that game, although they didn't cover. Pissed me off a little bit. Um, it, it, it feels like that no team in the AFC is really good enough to, A, compete with the Eagles, which I didn't think I was going to say at the beginning of the season. Whopper, it, whopper, whopper, there it is. Yeah. I was, hey, waiting for, hey, I was waiting for it to happen because, because I I have to I have to plug in the the computer so I can I can get your audio and so Ooh. and I was on ESPN I was waiting for it to happen and it just so happens that it plays a stupid Burger King ad. My, 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 I hate that chicken 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 <laughs> chicken. It's like shut up. Um, and so it, we're, I'm sitting here right now and if you ask me to pick a Super Bowl winner out of the AFC or who at least was going to be part, participating. I don't know, flip a coin. That's kind of how it feels like to me right now, um, especially with how the Chiefs have played and the Bills have played recently. I mean, the Chiefs are 5-1 and one in their last six games, but I was just looking at their schedule. We're talking about a three-point win over the Titans in overtime, a 10-point win over uh, the Jags when they were playing really bad football, a three-point win over the Chargers, a 16-point win over the worst Rams team I've ever seen, a three-point loss to the Bengals, and then this game against the Broncos. Like they're five and one, yes, but at what cost? It's almost like it's almost like one of those where it's like they're five and one, yeah, great, but you look like crap doing it. And I guess that is the NFL is try and get through those games. But the one, the one like legitimate team or the couple of legitimate teams you played, it was a loss to the Bengals, and then you, you got it was a, a close game against the Chargers, and the Chargers always do play them tough. But I, I, I think we have to be a little bit uh, cautious with the with the Chiefs and you're not going to hear that from a guy like Nick Wright who who claims that that play yeah yeah Patrick Mahomes made a great play uh to the Jarek McKinnon touchdown but like he also had three terrible throws that resulted in picks and he is a guy that's going to have a lot of turnover worthy plays that's just the kind of style of football he plays 
he hasn't always capitalized. Defenses haven't always capitalized on that. They did in the Broncos game. I mean, we're, the, that Broncos defense is legitimate. And had it not been for a Russell Wilson pick six of his own, we could be talking about the Broncos winning this game 28-27. In all fairness, did, Russell played one of his best games of the year. Fair? Yeah, um, yeah. no, I'm saying he still threw a pick six. Right. Um, he did, by no, the way. That was, I think that was, that was his best game of the season. I, it might have been the Raiders game. But, like, he threw for 247 yards and was 23 of 36. Right. Three touchdowns. Uh, absolutely. I, I want people to know, I'm not walking back my Cowboys to the Super Bowl take. I think they're still going to the Super Bowl. I firmly still believe that it was a bad game, but their first bad game in, I don't know, a month and a half. So, yeah. don't be all right, okay? Cowboys to the Super Bowl. I'm still going with it. Understood. So, so if I ask you for your Super Bowl prediction with four weeks to go in the regular season, we'll do this again before the playoffs start. But what, what would your Super Bowl prediction be right now? Cowboys Browns. No, I'm just messing. Um Cowboys. Cowboys Bengals, probably. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit chalky, but that would be my, that would I, be my I feel like, like I don't want to walk back my Vikings pick because it was so unique and different and they're they're 10 and 3 but I saw, I saw some serious issues with that defense yesterday and i don't and and especially over the course of the past couple of weeks i mean i think it was five straight games of over 400 yeah. yards that's a problem and you got to fix that i don't know if they will because ed donatel their defensive coordinator is probably one of the worst defensive coordinators in the league like he's up there with with joe barry and joe woods in terms of ineptitude and I saw that they all run the same the same style of defense where they play a, a lot of uh, soft zone, and so they give you that underneath stuff to because originally it was to combat you know Patrick Mahomes and, and Josh Allen and the too high look so that they can't push the ball down the field. Well, now you're playing that same look against the guys like Jared Goff, and <laughs> he's just picking that apart because that's what he does best is hit that that underneath stuff and get his give his guys uh, a, some room to run. And so oh, I don't know. I feel like I feel like. If you asked me today, I would I would definitely pick the Eagles. I mean, they just look like world beaters right now um, out of the NFC. Although I do think the 49ers can give them a, a little bit of a scare. Um, that that would be a fun game. And then out of the AFC, I would probably also go with the Bengals. But I, I, I do want to leave it open because if the Chargers are healthy offensively, we saw what they were able to do. It's just about that defense. I, I don't know if they'll be able to figure it out against, you know, legitimate quarterbacks. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know who was a legitimate quarterback is what it is um potpourri segment a little bit of current events we'll keep this somewhat quick because i think we have a 40 minute window still but yep. um you know just some quick things to get into with college football not being played so army navy army wins we'll talk about that briefly heisman caleb williams wins and uh, I'll get into this really quickly. I mean, I saw on your timeline that you retweeted it, some doofus talking about how Caleb Williams was one of the worst Heisman winners, you know, in recent memory and losing, you know, the biggest game he played in or one of the best teams he played it twice. And, okay, so did most every other quarterback. I was going to say the only quarterback that didn't was Stetson Bennett. And Stetson Bennett is objectively the worst of the three. Right. Or the uh, um, so, you know, whatever, but I mean, Stroud lost to, uh, to Michigan, Duggan lost to Kansas state and didn't play very well. So we can sit here and pretend like, Oh, quarterbacks are a win stat in college for some reason. And Oh, the only reason wins why- is never a stat anywhere, unless it's yeah. like peewee football where the kid also plays defense and somehow, he's a player. <laughs> like, 
consensuses in college football like oh if you don't win a lot of games you don't deserve to win the heisman what are you talking about yeah. first off usc was four and eight last year so if you want to give the award to the best georgia or alabama player every year be my guest i don't want that if you want that to be the award all right fine that's finals mvp that's not what this is well we've this made a couple exceptions with with guys like lamar jackson and um johnny, johnny manzel but it feels like we've only made those exceptions when they're extremely electric players. And it's right. like, why? Like, he is maybe not in the same way that Johnny and Lamar were Johnny and Lamar were with their legs in the sense that they really didn't throw the ball a ton. They just kind of ran a lot. Um, but like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. It feels like people are people and people don't like the fact that he had fuck Utah on his nails. It's like, right. I, I don't know. Why does that matter? Like, I, I don't get that. The most outstanding player. That's as simple as it gets. And folks I've heard, Oh, he picked apart an easy schedule, blah, 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 blah. Look at Caleb Williams stats versus Notre Dame and yeah. DJ Stroud stats versus Notre Dame. It's not even close. Caleb Williams and, made that defense look like a cupcake. And let's not act like the big 10 was that much better than the pac 12 this year. I mean, yeah, I guess the I guess the the point is is that um, Caleb Williams didn't play Oregon or Washington this year, but like at the same time, CJ Stroud, like look at the his look 10, at the resume of defenses he played. The Big Ten was so bad this year that like, do we really care? <laughs> right, it was Indiana, Michigan State. You know what I mean? Like just tar- Rutgers. Oh no. my God, you know terrible, terrible defense. I do. I do want to say that. Um, People were saying that Marvin Harrison Jr. got robbed of the Belitnikoff. You're stupid if you think that. Right. Jalen Hyatt was absolutely the best wide receiver in college football this year. There's no two ways about that. I will say it's weird that, Dave, that uh, Max Duggan won the Davey O'Brien Award. Uh, it, that seemed odd. Uh, Caleb Williams won the Maxwell, which is the best offensive player in football. And he also won the Heisman. So I, I don't know how the Davey O'Brien went to Max Duggan. I really don't get that. Um, the Doak Walker was probably the most competitive award, in, in my opinion, in football this year. You talk about Chase Brown, you talk about um, B. John Robinson, you talk about Blake Corm, and then n- another finalist, and I can't believe I'm forgetting who it was, because it wasn't Chase Brown. <sighs> I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, I'll transition real quick to the uh, MLB win. Uh, now you probably have something to, to finish on. But we'll nope. get into the MLB winter meetings in a, in a second here. So, and it was like because you know, I, obviously, you know, I'm a Michigan fan, and so my Twitter uh, timeline. Oh no, okay, it was Chase Brown as a finalist. I didn't. I didn't, I thought it was somebody else. Oh well, um, there was a guy out of UAB. Oh, I'm forgetting his name. He had some insane numbers, uh, and I, I think he'll probably be a draft guy. But it's like. You look at Bijan's numbers. Yeah, they were better, and and people are gonna are gonna say like I saw this from Michigan State fans. Kenneth Walker would run for two thousand yards behind this Michigan offensive line, and while I think this Michigan offensive line is fantastic and the best in the country, Blake Horm forced the most missed tackles out of anybody this season. I mean, right. in that Illinois first half, he had 10, 10 forced missed tackles in the first half. And so I, I miss me with all that crap. He shared, he shared carries with Donovan Edwards, who is probably a top 10 running back, if not top five running back in all of football. We're talking about a number two guy. And so if he, if he was able to get the work, the, the um, workhorse load, then I, and yes, I guess Bijan did share with Roshan Johnson as well, but 
I mean, Blake Quorum would have been perfectly fine uh, had he not shared with Donovan Edwards. He would have run, ran for 2,000 yards. So there's that. Yeah. Um, you know, I agree. Bijan, Bijan sucks. No, I'm just kidding. But I'll, I'll tell you this too. Blake Quorum didn't fumble in overtime against Texas Tech. Okay? Cost his team a game. He didn't. He didn't do that. Cost so, a shot at the Big 12 championship. You're darn right. Whatever. Um, MLB winter meetings happened. Uh, you know, I'll only touch on this quickly as well because I don't think you have too many thoughts on it. But no, I do not work. care. <laughs> the takeaway was Aaron Judge back to the Yankees. I'll say this because, you know, I thought about this. I don't really know, you know, and this seems crazy for the Yankees because they are like, you know, so they should be the best team in baseball every year, but oftentimes they're not. I think about this. I think their ceiling is about like the sixth or seventh highest in baseball this year. I look at what the Phillies did with getting Trey Turner, who is probably the best shortstop in baseball. And it's Trey Turner and it's Bryce Harper and JT Real Muto and Nicholas Castellanos and uh, Kyle Schwarber and just guy after guy after guy after guy. And it's if, you know, uh, Bryce Harper has the year that he's had throughout his career will be great. And Trey Turner really is the shortstop in baseball. Like I believe he is. This team ceiling is unbelievably high. You are they going to go back to the World Series and win it this time? I think so. I that's they're my favorite to win the World Series today. I look at the Yankees and I think to myself, so many guys not only are over thirty, but are coming off of some of their best years in their career. I mean, the Yankees were pretty average as a team last year for you know you know Yankees baseball. And Aaron Judge had the best year we've seen a slugger have since always two spaceballs. True, since the nineties and two thousands. And so I think about that, and and it's like to me, I think he'll probably regress. There's no reason to believe that Judge is going to be as good as he was last year. No, absolutely. I think, not. I think Rizzo's only getting older. Cortez had his best year. Uh, the starting pitcher, starting pitcher had one of his best years of his career. I think he's probably a candidate to regress. So you, Giancarlo Stanton's past the age of 30. So you have all of these aging stars on your team. And it's like those types of players don't have the opportunity to be fantastic or grow because of their age. You look at the Phillies, their stars, other than Harper, who's a little bit older, they're pretty young. They're pretty, you know, uh, uh, ready, ready to grow, ready to be even better than they were last year. Their potential is through the roof. The Yankees don't have that. And part of their problem is instead of saying, oh, we'll let our young guys come in and try and fill some of the voids in our roster to become a better team. It's no, we'll just sign 10 new players who will come <laughs> in who are all past the age of 35 and we'll have them try and be, you know, really good players that's not a viable option. You can't have that happen because, you know, what we've seen is they haven't been able to develop young superstar sort of players. Um, All of their players are just old wash sort of guys that they signed free agency to be band-aids on a bullet hole. And what you need is, we see this in baseball all the time, to bring up and develop your own young talent. If the Astros didn't have Jordan Alvarez, Mm -hmm. where would they be right now? They would be nowhere. If they just tried to do what the Yankees did and said, all right, we have our core of players and Carlos Correa and, uh, you know, Altuve and Alex. Their new shortstop they replaced Correa with. What's his name? I forget. Oh, good point. Uh, Diaz, I think. Or no, uh, Jeremy Pena. That's right. And, um, and like, it's like, it's like 
if you can replace an old guy with a younger guy who is just as good, if not better. Right. Like that's, that's the formula for, for sustained success. And the Yankees are just like throw money at every single problem we have. Let's get 38 year old Josh Donaldson and bring him in. I don't know how old he is, but you know what I mean? Let's get super old Josh Donaldson and keep Aaron Hicks around for no reason. And Isaiah Kiner Falefa. It's just terrible. (laughs) Wait, you have to bring in your own young talent, develop that talent and field the competitive roster. Instead, they're like, no, we're just, we'll just clog all of our roster spots and not give these guys the opportunity to get to the major yep. leagues, fail, get sent back down to the minor leagues, apply what they've learned, come back up and become star players like so many other franchises have done. And so I look around the league and it's like, I think the Astros have a better opportunity to be a better team than the Yankees. I think the Mets do. I think the Phillies do. I think the Braves do with all of the young talent. They I think brought the Guardians up. do. And signed to extensions. The Guardians, to some extent, which uh, with the Josh Bell signing and all of their young players. And that's a great example. It's Stephen Kwan, Andres Jimenez, you know, uh, Ahmed Rosario is fairly young. Um, you know, Josh Bell was the obvious signing. All of these guys, they're younger. Uh, they're going to grow. They have the opportunity to be much better yep. than they were in the previous years. The Yankees guys don't have that. That's the that's the truth. Aaron Judge, there is no opportunity for him to be better than he was last year. So for well, me, he with hit for Yankees, 65 home runs. Right. For me with the Yankees, it's just so much of, and this seems like a hot take. I might've let Aaron judge walk. I, I, I know. I was thinking that too. And it's because you look at it like, okay, what, what are his best years going forward? And you just saw his best season. I think, front offices tend to do this in contract years. It's like, well, I'm prove it to me. I'm going to sign you to prove it, prove it to me. And then they do. And it's like, well, now are they going to do that again? It's yeah. like, it's like, well, now you have to bank on him doing that again for you in order for the, for the contract. Cause now the contract's just going to be more like, that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, it's going to be more. And I would have rather, you know, if I'm the Yankees, I think you start a rebuild. Like you're, not, you're not there in terms of your farm system or your current roster to win a World Series. And for you to be paying Aaron Judge three hundred ninety million over the course of this next nine seasons is just absolutely stupid to me. Um, I also think that the MLB could use a a uh, salary cap. I think that would be nice. Um, I saw a tweet that said like the Yankees payroll is like three hundred twenty some million hundred million dollars. And one of the owners, I think it was the Marlins owners, his net, his net worth is $500 million. So oh their, their, their payroll is going is to be more than that guy's worth. And so I think a salary cap would go a long way for baseball. Um, I, I don't know how you would construct it because there are so many people, but the NFL has no issue doing it with 53. So y- you figure it out. I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, last, last thing I want to touch on, cause we do have like eight minutes left. Um, Pinaldo's gone. Uh, he did absolutely nothing for his team. Uh, Portugal stinks. He stinks. And anybody that calls him the goat is just raises Portugal stinks. Okay. Portugal football club stinks. Maybe no Portugal. The country stinks. Like you just, you just stand there and it just smells not, they don't have public sewage, uh, public plumbing. Did you know that? Wow. Did you also know that I just made that up and don't know if that's true? <laughs> what if they don't? That'd be awesome. Um, no, that was sad though. Uh, Ronaldo gets knocked up. He's almost certainly his last international appearance. I think he's 37. I'll um, double check. Yeah, he, he's not getting any younger. For him to play in another World Cup, he would have to be 41. So folks, well, if he's the greatest of all time, he'll do it. He's 37. Yes. That's not realistic. I've always been a big Ronaldo guy just because he's fun to watch. Um, 
I don't think he's better than Messi. And in full disclosure, I just like to make the argument. But, um, you know, yeah, he got knocked out. It was sad. Uh, I think that Morocco has a little bit of spice to them. They're kind of the huge Cinderella story. So happy for them. Very happy for them. First African country to make it to the semifinals. Yeah, very cool. I really wanted to see a Ronaldo versus Messi final. So that's that would have been fun. That would have been really fun. It's not coming home. So yeah, that's, that's tough. I, I had said that was my thing. It's coming home. And you kept saying, what you, you mean we're winning it, right? I was like, no, 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 it's coming yeah. home. And England just decided, or Harry Kane decided that he didn't oh. want to, uh, he didn't want to win one for the, for the, the, what, what do they call England? Uh, the queen, I guess he didn't, he hates the queen. I think that, right. that's the takeaway is that he hates queen Elizabeth and hopes she rots in hell. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Sorry, Harry Kane. Listen, he didn't even just, it didn't sound like he got saved. He missed it over Ooh. the floor about 10 feet. And, you know, your PK, what is it, 10 yards out? Come yeah. on, man. You got to put it on net. That's what they say about PKs. The one thing you can't do is miss it. You can't fail it. Very least have to make it. You can't be Spain. Save. Yep. So Spain that hit was. Like, hit like every crossbar they possibly could. Every post, every everything. So very disappointing loss for the, for the British team. And, uh. And they're out now. And, and that ultimately falls on Harry Kane for one of the worst penalties I've seen taken in a long time. And now we're left with Argentina, Croatia, France, and Morocco. And really what I'm hoping for now is a Argentina-France final, which seems very chalk. But then we could have Mbappe versus Messi, kind of best of best of new versus best of old. That would be a very spicy World Cup final. I think I want to see Argentina... Morocco. I think that that's what I want. Spicy. I think that's Africa what I want. Um, why why have the Cinderella end against France? Like yeah. just just have France wave the white flag. They're really good at doing that. They just like to give up. So right. Right. <laughs> um also I, I think that it could be interesting if France won because it they would be the first back to back since like the sixties, I think, if right. I if I remember correctly. Um and Brazil also lost too. That was oh, big, yeah. right, because they were the favorites. Yep. Uh, lost in PKs to who was it? Croatia. Croatia. Yeah, Croatia. So very unfortunate ending there. I thought I was stunned. Neymar didn't take a PK in PKs. So that was that was really surprising to me. I don't, I don't get what that was, but they're out now, and it's it's frustrating to watch. I think the their undoing ultimately was failing to, you know, kind of concede like all right now we actually have to play defense now we're going to play conservative <laughs> now we're going to instead it was no let's try and score that game winning goal to make it two to nothing and the game they were up one nothing with like 10 minutes left they were like no we're still going to play our aggressive offense tr- trying to just seal the game rather than play like a you know your typical team would which is let's just do whatever we can to win this game and defend our lead and it makes your team look a little bit scared and conservative and cautious. But sometimes the ends justify the means. You're just trying to win. You're not trying to, oh, win by five goals. You're just trying to win. Win by so five goals. Stupid by Brazil. But they're out now, so it's going to come I think, down to... I think we have to ask the question, are Brazil's titles Mickey Mouse? No. No, oh. they're not. We Wait. don't have to ask that question. They're the greatest country in the when world. When was the last time they won one? Say it again. When was the last time they won? Like three World Cups ago, which isn't even that many. Oh, I don't like. I think two thousand two, maybe. Fact check me. Look me up. I think I think it was two thousand two. Let's see. I got to do this quickly. We got three minutes left. Yeah, hurry. 
Brazil at the yeah. World Cup. Um, they won in 58, 62, 70, 84, or 94 in 2002. They beat South Korea in 2002. Yeah. It worked legit to me. And then quarterfinals, quarterfinals, fourth place, quarterfinals, quarterfinals. I think they're a Mickey Mouse uh, country at soccer. Uh, the fourth place was the year where they got killed by Germany yeah. and then lost in the next game after getting just. I forget. Uh, I always forget that that Germany Brazil game wasn't the final. Yeah. No, because the final was Germany Argentina and Messi yeah. chose. Yeah, that's that's right. For a thousand light bulbs, the little <laughs> boy from Rosario, Messi. No, no, okay, no. He's no, going to no. get redemption this year. Yeah. Hey, he better. He's got I'm, kind of. A, I'm, I'm really pulling for him. He has a clean path, man. He does. Croatia and then the winner of France, uh, Morocco. So he just has to beat Croatia. Should be. And Croatia's got a great team. No, no mistaking that. Very, they, very they good. Played, they played in, what was it, 2018? They played in the final? Final, yeah. Against, against France. France, right? So th- this is a real Croatia team. But at the same time, there's not a lot of you got to win that game, right? Yeah. You got to win this game if you're if you're yeah, US. and a lot of turmoil in the U.S. locker room. World just never went oh, up. Yep. Gio Reyna apparently was not giving enough effort, and I also heard I don't know if this is true at all, but got into a confrontation with Tyler Adams. Maybe yeah, I did maybe see that. Our, our star well, listen, going. the U.S. is just never going to win a World Cup, and that's something that we have to accept as a nation. Let's focus on women's uh, women's World Cup because we dominate that, right? Yeah, yeah. it's only wait equality, right? Exactly. If people really believe, you know, like, oh, it like I I see this all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, men's soccer, women's soccer. It's all good. But then when people are ranking, you know, soccer countries, they never include women's soccer. Why not? That's ridiculous to me. It is ridiculous. Right. Dominance within women's soccer should be relevant to, you know, our global state as a as, as a soccer powerhouse. I agree with you. Well, we are running out of time, so we have to, unfortunately, get out of here. Thank you guys so much for watching. Hope you enjoyed. Catch you on the flip. See ya.